Dragon Radio. I'm your host, Emma Rustrak. I'm here with Dr. Tracy and her wonderful books. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you having me on. Always, always welcome to have authors on the talk. What else can we talk about but books, right? Exactly. <laughs> and you have three of them out, but you also have a doctor in front of your name. So I'm guessing being an author is not your first career. It is not. I have a doctorate in public health, health care management with a small concentration in epidemiology. So that's my first love. And writing is my second love. And it shows through with your leadership journal, your practical leadership, and a journey to authorship. Now, which one was first? Practical leadership was first. Uh, Lessons learned from Mickey. Uh, that was a leadership book that I wrote um, from my experience at being in leadership positions uh, within HHS. So um, I used Mickey Mouse to make it a little funny and interesting, um, but to really talk about some serious leadership issues that we need to continue to address and continue to be aware of as we continue to work and mentor those coming behind us. Right. I mean, okay. Being in a leadership position half my adult life, I mean, I understand, you know, there's challenges and struggles and things that you have to have in leadership. You can't have a leader that's in a position that doesn't know what they're doing. That's one. Yes. And then you have to have the leader that understands everything else from how to talk to an employee, make sure you don't talk down, yes. make sure you're not having favorites within the company. Yes. And then you put in the political everything else. You know, it's not just as easy as some people make it look. Absolutely. It's, leadership is very complex. And, and as you said, you have to think about staying away from your own personal biases and those biases of others. Mm -hmm. um, you always have to be aware of who's around you, um, knowing and recognizing that everybody is different, everybody's backgrounds and experiences are different, and really, you know, leading with compassion. And that's what I've always tried to do. Lead with a sense of compassion and curiosity so that I won't make assumptions. I'm mm -hmm. more willing to ask the question, um, gain an understanding of their perspective and transition from there versus just making assumptions on my past experiences with someone that may look like that person um, culturally or be in the same age group. I try to stay away from those assumptions. Right. I mean, you have to be biased blind. Yes. And they start teaching this if you're a 16, 17 year old working at McDonald's, they actually teach you how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> they need to bring that to um, corporate and, and the federal agencies to really teach, um, really teach people how to do that as well, because biases come out. Um, unfortunately, sometimes we can't control them, but we need to know how to correct them mm -hmm. and, and be compassionate when they do appear. It is. I, I mean, anyone that's ever went through MICU, which is McDonald's University, has been through the training to look past wow. the biases. And Excellent. that's something that has to be translated from a restaurant to everything else. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. 
I mean, if anyone out there in corporate America is listening, I mean, enroll in MICU. <laughs> Great suggestion. <laughs> well, let's cross promote and teach something that actually is taught in hospitality and to government or HHS or whatever other business you're in. If you're in a leadership position, you need this anyways. Yes, and even if it's not offered, I think it's okay to seek out um, mm -hmm. those opportunities on your own as a leader to really try to um, enhance your uh, leadership skills and capacity. Uh, sometimes people uh, limit themselves to what their organization is offering when there are so many other organizations offering so many different dynamic trainings mm -hmm. um, on cultural bias, on hiring bias, on um, diversity on inclusion that um, we all should consider tapping into and really thinking outside the box and thinking of things in a different way. Now, did this lead into the leadership journal? So yes, uh, the leadership journal is actually my third book. And, and what I, I did with the leadership journal is um, being a leader, sometimes you want to take notes and you didn't really have uh, your personal notepad, you know, when you're writing on uh, notepads that, that's uh, sponsored by your organization or provided by your organization, mm -hmm. sometimes that can get about sticky about ownership. So um, I created a leadership journal for leaders uh, to really um, write down their thoughts, their plans, their goals, and their objectives. And it also comes along with some, um, some famous quotes from um, some of our greatest leaders in the world. And Albert Einstein, you know, uh, Rosa Parks, and um, some of the greatest leader, I think I have one from Warren Buffett in there and Oprah Winfrey. So I just really look for diverse leaders, uh, diverse backgrounds, and really got some inspiring quotes because hopefully as they open uh, that journal, they will see a quote that really touches them and inspire them to continue to lead that day. So it, it came third, yes. <laughs> I mean, okay, so we have a lot of inspirational leaders that we have had in our past and are, are present. We're trying to get those awesome leaders to come in from our future. Yes. And that is the next generation. That's our kids, our grandkids. And we have to raise them, but we have to teach them what it means to be a leader. Being a leader does not mean oh, I have 2 million people following me on Instagram. Exactly, exactly. And it, it does not, you know, we, we're looking at a wave of, of a new generation coming into the workforce and some of them are coming at um, in middle uh, level management. Mm -hmm. um, and what, what has been recognized, and I think what most companies have to recognize is uh, this community of leaders actually look at leadership more from a flat level, versus the hierarchy or the pyramid level. Um, they want to be innovative. They want to um, seek acknowledgement. Uh, they want to be open to be creative um, in their things. And, and that's how they look at leadership and that's how they're measuring leadership now, not like our traditional way of no. you know, climbing the ladder. They're not into that. They want to, you know, their their level of accomplishment is not that CEO position or that VP, VP position. It is creating something that's innovative mm -hmm. um, for their community. And I think we need to shift and, and look more into that uh, paradox. I, I mean, we have our companies, our traditional companies. You have your CEO, you, 
your COO, and then from them that you have your CMO, CFO, you know, a bunch of initials. Yeah. And then you have your employees, your grunt workers, your factory employees, your, you know, the entry-level positions. They don't want those entry-level positions. They want to be at the same level exactly. as your CMOs. Exactly. And exactly. it takes a lot more to get there educationally wise. But <laughs> at the same time, we have to strip our mentality because there's a lot of great entry-level people that are coming up that because they have worked or lived in the digital world may have more experience than your CMO does. Absolutely. And it takes a leader that is confident, a leader that is sure of him or herself to recognize that and also allow that creative being to express themselves and create at that level. Mm -hmm. And you describe that so beautifully because that's exactly what's happened. It's not anymore about the training and the education that we think it's about. It's about that exposure. It's about the experience. And it's also about partnerships. You know, the new generation, they're more willing to partner across organizations and agencies uh, to work on initiatives versus being isolated, if you will, into one organization or one silo. Mm -hmm. And I think overall, you know, this pandemic has shown us that, you know, we're all connected globally. So those are the things we need to embrace moving forward. Right. It's more like I'm going to use social media influencers right now. If you have a social media influencer, they cross promote all brands. They're a marketer. Basically, they're marketing a brand. But instead of just marketing in one thing, one brand, like we think of, we have uh, People Magazine. Their marketers only market People Magazine. Mm -hmm. A social media marketer promotes a hundred magazines. Yes. Yes. That's the mentality we have to shift to. We don't need that one marketer that's paying paid six figures when I can go to a social media influencer, cut that cost in half as a business owner, and they're cross-promoting different brands. Now you're going to, the cross-promotions going on. This yes. is the mentality we're moving into. Exactly. And I think it's a beautiful thing because when we look at cross-promotion and cross-collaboration, we are also open to being inclusive uh, of all people, all ideas, all strategies, and all things. And I think that that's where we need to go and that's what the focus should be. You know, we should really work to get the best out of whatever we're doing. And we do that when we are cross collaborating and cross um, working across not only organizations, but also race, gender, orientation, and all of that, because everyone brings something unique to the table. Just imagine if we mix all the differences in, what great products we will have at the end of the day. Exactly. You can't just go, oh, this is made for this body type. Well, no, we are not cross-promoting, so it has to fit an Asian body type, a, you know, different cultures, different religions, different whatever. You need to be able to promote your brand so it's not just here in the U.S., but does it fit over in the UAE? Exactly. So. <laughs> Just a we little can, bit of marketing. <laughs> we can we can really change things. I love it. We are we have a plan. 
we do have a plan and we have to be able to change the mentality of the leaders that are currently in those higher brand organizations. Yes. Yes. Regardless if it's a brand or a government entity, we have to change the mindsets. Yes. And I think, you know, one vehicle to do that is, is what we're doing now, having open dialogue about it mm -hmm. and continue to talk about it openly and continue to make them aware because sometimes people are just working so hard in their silo. They're not thinking about what's going on all around them, about the new generations coming into the workforce. Correct. So the more we can engage people in this dialogue, I think the better we'll be long term. Right. We don't need to have the dialogue of my way is right, your right way is wrong. We have to have this openness. We have to embrace new ideas. Yes, yes. And, uh, and agree to disagree, but have the conversation. Because I think, you know, even if we don't agree, if we have the conversation, if nothing else, we built a relationship. Correct. We built a partnership. And that's Correct. the most important. Okay. I could say, uh, this pencil is the best pencil in the world. And you can say, no, mine is. Well, why is this pencil better than this one? You know, we have to have a dialogue, regardless exactly. of what it is, this hypothetical pencil or a clothing brand or a government sponsored program or whatever it is, we have to have leaders that are embrace new ideas. Absolutely. So then we get into your second book. We kind of got out of order, your journal tour authorship, because obviously you wrote the first book and go, wait, this isn't as easy as I thought it would be. Absolutely. And that's exactly what happened. There was so many points of frustration when I wrote my, my first book. I spent hours sitting in Barnes and Noble frustrated because there's so many writing books and how to write a book and different components. And, you know, you don't have time to just sit and read for years mm -hmm. to write and publish one book. So um, after I wrote my first book and I kind of got the process down that worked for me, um, I wanted to share that with other writers so that even if all of the, um, all of the points that I use may not work for them, they will have sort of a guide and outline a journey to take uh, and a checklist to really see what needs to be done, how it needs to be done and what's beneficial. Um, things that I got hung up on was titles and not recognizing that I didn't need a title when I first got it started. Or I didn't need to decide how many chapters I would have. And those things are what people just get writers block about and get stuck on. So this uh, book, The Journey to Authorship, really is intended to be a conversation, a dialogue, if you will, between myself and the writer about what they should do, what they can do, and what really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Right. It's, I tell authors this all the time. Just write. What's stopping you? Just write. You don't have to have your first draft. According to Stephen King, is going to be trash. Yes. <laughs> so just write and get your thoughts on paper, then go through it and see what you want to keep, what direction you actually want to go, yes. and then write a good first draft. Absolutely. That's exactly what you should do. Yes. Love and then, then when you get it through to the editing, you actually have to hire an editor. It doesn't matter if you're in Penguin, 
publishing or a small press publishing, you have to hire a editor. Absolutely. You're either going to hire a house editor through Penguin or mm -hmm. hire your own editor that you find on whatever site did you go to. Yes. And, and that's, you know, editing was a big thing for me because I knew nothing about editing when I started writing my book. And then when I got to the point where I needed to hire an editor, I didn't realize there were beta editors and grammatical editors and all these type of editing that goes into a book. And so that was definitely an educational point for myself. And, and it also, you know, encouraged me to really interview different editors uh, because you want to make sure that you're getting what you need when you're getting your book edited. I see so many books that are published with grammar errors and not properly formatted and, you know, things are not really linking the paragraphs. And I didn't want that for my book. So I did some research on editing and I found um, a young lady where it was a team of editors uh, that work well for all three of my books and, and that worked out. But those things people don't know. And that's why I, you know, I have a chapter in the book on editing mm -hmm. because people need to know that there's different types, there's different options, but at the end of the day, you just need an editor. Yes, you do. Then you yes. need a cover. Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah. Which, okay. So we went through, wrote the book. We have it edited. Now we need a title and then we need a cover. Now your title goes with your cover. If you have a, you know, title that is telling a story, you want your book to tell the story. If it's a self-help nonfiction book, your covers needs to reflect that. Yes, yes. Covers are very important. You, having a Canva pre-made KDP cover, it may not be the best thing when you can go to a cover designer and go, yes. okay, here's my idea. Can you help mm -hmm. me bring it to life? Absolutely. And, and, and those are the things that I encourage everyone to outsource. You know, even mm -hmm. if you're the best designer, I don't think you should design your own cover. Definitely outsource it. And I outsource mine. I got a couple of versions, I think five versions. And, and I just put it out there on social media and have people vote. Um, because uh, one, one way that takes away my personal bias, and then you want to get an idea of what people are thinking mm -hmm. um, when they see your cover, what messages it sends. So uh, those are some easy things that I put in the book that really takes a lot of pressure off of you um, as you're trying to get that cover, make sure the title makes sense. And really Googling your title, and that's something that um, I didn't think about until I had to do it to make sure no one has your exact title. Um, out there as well. So it's those little things that I think people get caught up on that I wanted them to be able to um, embrace with joy and mm -hmm. check it off and keep it moving. Right. And there's one thing, I don't know if it's in your book or not, but run your book like a business. Yes, yes, absolutely. If, you, if you're not running it like a business, you've made the product and it's sitting on the shelf and you do nothing with it, is going to sit there and do nothing. Yes, yes. I touched on, I think, marketing and in and, and the business piece a little, but not a lot. Um, mm -hmm. But definitely, that's something that we have to think about because I think a lot of people make the assumption that if they write a book, it's going to sell millions and you're going to be a bestseller just by mm -hmm. writing and publishing a book. Mm -hmm. That is not going to happen. 
No, it's not. You cannot be the next uh, J.K. Rowling's or Stephen King or whoever, you know, if you don't market your book. Yes, yes. You have to work the book like you would a regular business. You have to have a marketing plan. Even if your marketing plan is $100 a month and that's your advertising budget, you're Mm -hmm. still doing something. Exactly, exactly. And that's great advice because uh, to be transparent with my first book, um, I did a lot in the beginning. Um, but after the first six months, I did not have a marketing plan for my book. So I did nothing. Um, but you have to continue to build your audience mm-hmm. and build your readers. And it takes work every day doing something to promote your book. I am guilty of that, totally transparent. I don't do that um, like I would want to. Um, but if you don't, it's, it's not going to sell in the way you want it to sell. Oh, honey, I'm so transparent. I have 17 books out. I haven't marketed one this year. And they're in 10 languages. I haven't marketed any because what do I do? I don't concentrate on me anymore. I write the books for fun. They can sit on the shelf. I will promote another author before I promote myself. Oh my gosh. 17 books. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, there's some that are short novellas. And if you're an author or reader, you know, a novella is like under a hundred pages and they're for kids. But at the same time, I have my core books, which are 300 to 400 pages each you know, you have those mix in there. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, but I won't promote myself. I'm like, okay, if someone wants to Google me, okay, you know, I'm ML, I have this radio show, what else do I do? Well, put it in there, you'll find my books. But otherwise, you're not going to find anything because I don't promote myself. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a lot of us. You know, I'm I'm one of those people that goes to the cab book festival and buys hundreds of books and, you know, not to read them, just to support other authors, you know, because everybody loves to sell, you know, their art. And, um, and everybody says to me, why don't you get a tape? And I'm just like, you know, that's just not my thing. I just rather buy everybody else's book. I'm okay with that. Right. When you promote someone else, it makes you feel good. It does. It's so rewarding. I love it. It is. It's the most rewarding thing in the world. You can promote other people, make other people happy and share information that is, you know, needed for this culture that's coming up that are now in high school. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, share free information. I, mm-hmm. I'm so irritated when I see people uh, want people to buy information. I'm like, oh my gosh, where do we get to this point, you know, if you're helping to build generations, whether it's generational wealth or generational knowledge, you know, it should be free. Conversation should be free. Exchange of information should be free. But um, I, I've seen during the COVID response that we're kind of getting away from that and people are, you know, trying to take advantage and charging people for the simplest information, which is unfortunate. I have seen um, programs that are three-day programs. They want to charge a minimum of $3,000. For three days? For three days. Does not include your airfare or hotel. It's just to sit in a conference room with 
a hundred other people to listen to the same information and you might get 10 minutes of information out of those three days. That is so unfortunate. And it's information that is supposed to motivate and inspire us to grow as, as leaders. Hmm. Now, if I have $3,000, I'm already a leader. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so why am I going to a leadership conference to teach me how to be a leader when I can go talk to anyone of my peers for free? Yeah, for free. And get the same information or better information. Right. It's not going to be tailored to me. It's not going to be a conversation for me. It's going to be, okay, I'm here. I'm going to sit in the back of the class because if I can go into a conference, I'm going to be in the back because I don't want to be up front. I'm that kid that would be in the back of the class in high school and ace the test when the person in the front row is struggling. Yeah. Well, why are they struggling? What is the problem that's making them yeah. struggle? You know, yeah. it's not the billboards they're right there in front of them it's not the teacher we're all here in the same information so what is the problem there's the disconnect and you know that that's a great point because even in leadership there's a disconnect and mm -hmm. and you see people we're in the same room it's the same conversation but their takeaway is totally different Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes you know i wonder how did you get to that decision um and and sometimes they unfortunately can't even explain it Right. Um, but that's something we need to explore because oftentimes people just go with it. And it's like, you know, we don't need to go with it. We need to have a further conversation and explore how did we get to that decision? And sometimes it's personal biases mm -hmm. uh, that people don't want to acknowledge or people that uh, don't recognize. It is. It goes, well, how did you get to this position? Well, my uncle Joe you know, or my aunt Sally, or, you know, that's how they got the job. That's not, doesn't say they're qualified. It means they have, there's a bias there that they got the job because of who they know. Exactly. But we are almost out of time, unfortunately, because this is fun. So where can our readers and our listeners find you? Um, you can find me on the internet. I have uh, my website. Uh, you can uh, drtracypowell.com and it goes directly to my website and all of my books and resources are there. I'm on LinkedIn at Dr. Tracy uh, Powell as well. And those are my two sources. I am also on Facebook, Dr. Tracy Powell. So everything is just Dr. Tracy Powell. And you can definitely find me, engage me. And I would love to talk to the readers and, and just have dialogue and conversation. Right. This was so fun. And thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. I enjoyed it. See you soon. See you soon. And for all of our readers and our listeners, happy reading. <laughs>